an initiative of Franciscan University of Steubenville. Faithandreason.com. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind. I'm so honored to be here with you on this special day and to be recognized by this university that I admire so much and have throughout the years. Since my first visit to this campus nearly 15 years ago, I've always considered Franciscan a spiritual home of sorts, so I'm delighted that I can now call this school my honorary alma mater. So I want to thank Father Terrence Henry, the Franciscan Friars, and the Board of Trustees for inviting me here today. I want to salute the administration and faculty for preparing another bright, talented class of Franciscan graduates. And most of all, I want to congratulate you, the Graduate School Class of 2013, for your outstanding achievement. I'd also like to take a moment to help those who, to congratulate those who helped you reach this milestone, your parents and grandparents, other family members and friends. And since this is Mother's Day weekend, I think we should extend a special round of applause to all the moms here today who can't believe their babies now have master's degrees. Now, I'm a relatively new mom myself. My babies are still using sippy cups and training wheels, so I haven't yet experienced the bittersweet mix of joy and nostalgia that you parents out there are feeling today. I'm still closer in years to my own graduation day than to the day that my children will don college caps and gowns. And though it's been a few years, Okay, more than a few. I, I can still remember the excitement and anticipation that squirreled around my friends and me at commencement as the speeches were given, the diplomas were delivered, and the photos were snapped. We marveled that this day had finally come, and we wondered what would come next. Now, I know that some of you have your postgraduate school plans all mapped out. You've been given a first-rate education at this university, known across America and beyond for turning out graduates distinguished in both faith and reason. Armed with this preparation and now your master's degrees, you'll enter a world that desperately needs what you have to offer. You'll join a business workforce that needs your firm grasp of ethics, a counseling profession that needs your holistic understanding of the human person, an educational establishment that needs your commitment to selfless service, a nursing profession that needs your unyielding defense of the dignity of human life, an intellectual community of philosophers and theologians that needs your witness of living faith married to academic excellence, and parishes and diocesan offices that need your zeal for Jesus and your love for his church and her teachings. There's no doubt that the world needs you and the gifts that you've been given and those that you have developed during your time here at Steubenville. But not all of you may know today exactly how you'll use those gifts. And even those who, of you who have your next move carefully plotted out may find that in a year or two or ten, the way you thought your life and career would unfold has changed, and God is calling you to something new. That something new is what I want to talk to you about this morning. Because as important as it is to make plans in life, I think it's even more important to know how to say yes when God calls you to scrap your plans and do the unexpected. This is a lesson I've had to learn again and again in my own career, first as a college student who switched majors three times before finding my niche, then as a hard news reporter for Secular Dailies who wound up writing opinion columns and long-form books on religion, 
and later as a print journalist who took some unexpected detours into graduate studies in philosophy, later political speechwriting, and now into work as a TV news anchor. That God is full of surprises is something I've learned most profoundly in my personal life. As a preoccupied college student whose spiritual life once consisted of little more than tardy appearances at my school's 30-minute drive through Sunday Mass, I didn't expect that my career would someday be defined by defense of the Church's most controversial teachings, or that the brilliant and seemingly invincible father with whom I often quarreled as a teen would be diagnosed with Alzheimer's my senior year in college, and that his 12-year battle with dementia would bring us closer to each other and to God than we ever were before. Or that after years of struggling through infertility, my husband and I now would find ourselves managing the joyful chaos of life with three children ages three and under, a couple of whom are here today, the other one's snapping. So even if your own life has followed a tidier trajectory than mine, at least so far, I suspect most of you know something about the unpredictability of providence. Perhaps your very presence here today is the result of a divinely inspired U-turn, of you answering a call to study a subject in grad school that once only interested you in passing, or to make a career of a discipline that once seemed too financially precarious to pursue. You took a leap of faith in pursuing this graduate degree, and now you're preparing to watch it bear fruit. Exactly what sort of fruit it will bear remains to be seen. The way that you intend to use this degree may be only one of many surprising ways that God intends to use it. The dream you have today of what you will do and who you will become may be only a glimmer of the dream that God has for you. As my dad always liked to remind me, man proposes and God disposes. The question is how we will respond when that happens. Will we say yes to God's call when it leads us in unexpected directions and entails daunting risks? And will we continue to say yes as the years pass and we grow more attached to our plans and routines, titles and perks? Or will we reach a point in our walk with Christ, in our vocations and our careers, where we say, this is enough, I've grown enough, I'm comfortable here, and I want to stay? It's a natural temptation, isn't it, to find our safety zone and get stuck there, to cling so tightly to our own ideas of how our lives should unfold that we can't grasp the better gifts that God wants to give us. We can get stuck in our ideological tribes, stuck in our political factions, stuck in our financial security or liturgical pet peeves or fear of making mistakes. We can even get stuck clinging to what God asked of us yesterday and so find ourselves unable to answer his call on our lives today. This is a temptation even for those closest to the Lord. I think of Peter at the Transfiguration. Here he sees this amazing sight, Jesus, Moses, and Elijah all lifted up to heaven and bathed in ethereal light. And he does what I think many of us would do when we find ourselves in a comfortable situation. He hatches a plan to try to make it last forever. Let us make three tents, he says. But before he can let his plan even unfold, God has other ideas. The vision ends abruptly. Jesus and his disciples descend the mountain, and Peter is called to continue his earthly journey, one that ultimately leads not to more mountain vistas, but to martyrdom. When you were younger, you used to dress yourself and go where you wanted, Jesus tells Peter. 
But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands, and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Follow me. If Peter had decided at the transfiguration that, no, he wasn't leaving that mountain, that he was just going to plant his flag there and wait for another vision, he would have missed out on all that God had in store for him. And we would have missed out on all that God had wanted to give the church and the world through Peter. I think the same temptation exists for us throughout our lives, and perhaps especially for you here today. You've found something true and good and beautiful here in Steubenville, a genuine community of faith and scholarship, an opportunity to immerse yourself in the discipline that you love and to truly master it. And now, the Lord is calling you to something new. He's asking you to follow his lead as you move into this next phase of your life, to thank him for the gifts that you've received here and offer those gifts back to him to use however he sees fit. It's not easy to do. But here's the thing. You don't have to do it alone. You have a community here to help you, a community to, that extends not only to everyone you see in this field house, but to the scores of heavenly friends you cannot see, men and women who have run this race before you and finished well. I'm speaking, of course, about the communion of saints. Now, I know that even for many committed Catholics, the saints can sometimes seem out of reach, staring at us from beneath their halos, all dewy-eyed and cherubic in their soft-focused portraits. They often look more like stars of pious fairy tales than real flesh-and-blood human beings. It seems unlikely they could have struggled as we do or relate to the sins we commit. And that's how I once thought of the saints, as remote, one-dimensional, and largely irrelevant. Back when I was a college student grappling with everything from the chaos of the campus social scene to the pressure to build the perfect resume, I would have had a tough time picturing myself here today, publicly touting the significance of saints. I never expected these holy men and women to become so real to me, much less to become my heroes and friends. But life, with God's grace, has a funny way of changing your mind. I told the story of how my changed in my newest book, My Sisters the Saints, and that story entails too many twists and turns to recount here, except to say this. In the course of reading about and praying for the intercession of one extraordinary saint after another, from social butterfly turned powerhouse reformer Teresa of Avila to hidden mystic Faustina and philosopher and martyr Edith Stein, I discovered a life-changing truth. The family of God in heaven is also a family to us on earth. The saints are not like family. They're not almost family. They are truly our family. And they stand always ready to help us, to teach us by example how to choose movement over inertia in each new phase of life. Take the patron saint of this university. When Francis of Assisi heard God's surprising call to rebuild my church in the chapel of San Damiano, he initially thought Jesus was asking for some pro bono carpentry work. Francis eventually recognized the Lord's words as a summons to a communal life of evangelical poverty and preaching that would spawn one of the most fruitful renewal movements in church history. Imagine what the world would have lost if Francis had gotten stuck on his original interpretation of God's call and failed to embrace the more radical mission the Lord had planned for him. Or consider a more contemporary example, Blessed Mother Teresa of Calcutta. 
Now today we take it for granted that God called her to the slums of India to serve the poorest of the poor, but it wasn't obvious at the time, at least to anyone other than Mother Teresa. She was 37 when she left the comfort of her convent and struck out alone to minister in the streets. Mother Teresa waited for the permission of her bishop to proceed with her venture. She recognized the crucial link between obedience and genuine divine inspiration. But considering the hurdles she jumped through to secure that official permission and the harrowing half-century of interior darkness that she endured once she began her ministry, it would have been reasonable for her to turn back on the call within the call that she received on that train ride to Darjeeling. She could have decided that it was good enough to go back and stick to plan A and remain in the teaching order to which Jesus had called her at age 18. Thankfully for us and the millions of lives she touched, Mother Teresa loved Jesus too much to settle for good enough. Again and again, in the lives of the saints, we see this attentiveness to the Holy Spirit and this willingness to follow wherever God leads we see it in Mary as she opened her womb and her heart to the divine son whose conception upended all her earthly plans. We see it in Joseph, who heeded God's voice in his dreams, telling him first to embrace Mary and her mysterious child, then to protect them by fleeing to Egypt, and finally to bring them back home. The saints remind us that the Christian life is one of pilgrimage, and there is no standing still. As Teresa of Avila said, anyone who fails to go forward goes back. And love can never be content to stay for long where it is. Or as our new Holy Father put it in a homily delivered the day after his election, our life is a journey, and when we stop moving, things go wrong. Now, we know that Pope Francis wasn't talking about frenetic activity or cutting corners on prayer to make time for more busyness. Nor was he talking about dodging the demands of God's unchanging truth or our own vocations. As he reminded an audience of women religious earlier this week, we must listen to God's will in the interior motion of the Holy Spirit as authenticated, he said, by the church. Franciscan is a university with a rich tradition of this sort of attentive, authentic listening. The charismatic renewal that awakened so many Catholics to the power of the Holy Spirit got an early foothold on this campus. And the fruits of that renewal can be seen in the scores of Franciscan graduates who have devoted their lives to promoting the new evangelization in their own spheres of influence. You now join that Franciscan tradition. And you do so at a particularly auspicious time. We're smack in the middle of a year of faith dedicated to the new evangelization, and we've just welcomed a new pope who has taken as his own the name and the church-rebuilding mission of St. Francis. This is a challenging time to be Catholic. The church faces tests from within and without, and our very freedom to live our beliefs is under attack. But it's also a thrilling time to be Catholic because our witness of radical openness to the Holy Spirit is needed now as never before. And only with that openness can we fulfill the unique mission God has entrusted to each one of us, a new mission that's fresher, grander, and bolder than our own limited human plans. As the book of Isaiah tells us, remember not the events of the past, the things of long ago, consider not. See, I am doing something new. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? 
I believe God is doing something new in our church and world today, and that he wants to use you and me to accomplish it. The defining question of our lives then becomes, do I say yes? Do I agree to put all of my plans and dreams and gifts at God's disposal to do with as God chooses? Do I, in other words, aspire to be a saint? It's a lofty goal, but your education here at Franciscan has prepared you to aim for nothing less. Today, as you celebrate all you've learned and look forward to all you'll achieve, I hope you'll rejoice especially in the knowledge that a future full of hope awaits you. It may not unfold exactly as planned. Ours is a God of surprises, and he likes to color outside the lines. But he promises that if we follow his lead, he'll never let us get stuck, and he will make all things new. So congratulations, graduates. I wish you every success and joy in life, and I thank you for allowing me the joy of sharing this momentous day with you, the class of 2013. An initiative of Franciscan University of Steubenville. Faithandreason.com. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind.